1: Welcome to CoinDesk TV. You're watching The Hash. It's me, Jen, and Will today. We are going to jump right into this thing. I'm going to pass it to myself. I have the first story of the day. Ooh. Just caught it. Thank you very much. All right. The first story of the day is some giga bull at the CFTC is talking about pumping Bitcoin. What, what the? What is this story? This is crazy Hell talk. Yeah. All right. We're talking about CFTC chair Benham going on stage and saying, hey, there's a CFTC regulated market. Bitcoin could, quote, double in price with the price prediction. That's crazy talk. Anyway, I was (laughs) struck by this one. Interesting little nugget here. Obviously, the subtext is there's a bit of a turf war between the CFTC and the SEC over which U.S. agencies should regulate the crypto markets. This is specific to Bitcoin, so we can get into that in a bit. But I thought this was interesting as we've seen some things out of the CFTC lately. That may make crypto people wonder if it's really the favorite of the two regulatory bodies. We'll also get to that as well. But I'm going to toss it straight to Will for his initial thoughts on this headline, which is definitely a bit striking. I love the price prediction. Yeah, let's go back to the background
2: for this story, which is the Senate Agriculture Committee. Yes, that still matters. Agriculture matters. That's where the debate between the CFTC and the SEC is happening for the future of digital assets. Who's going to be the regulatory body that oversees all these things? And right now, there's a little bit of a turf war between who gets to oversee what. SEC has definitely come out very strong. There's been some op-eds in the Wall Street Journal. There's been some nice videos from Gary Gensler. And now we have this nice little quote from CFTC chairman saying, hey, we should have it. And if we get it, we might pump for Bitcoin a little bit. Of course, that's not what he's saying, but it's a nice little add-on there that I like to look at. We'll see what happens with this committee hearing. We'll see what happens with the... The decision could be quite a while, but it's really important, right? Who decides to regulate these bodies or who's in charge regulating these bodies could matter for who gets some time with penalties, who gets fined, how much you have to pay to be in exchange, how these tokens are processed. It's very big for the industry. And I think you could do a lot to mature the industry over the next two years. So definitely something to watch. Again, got to bring REC to that price point. Can't believe he said that. It's a little interesting. Most times regulators do not talk about price at all. But I love that he said it. Jen, over to you.
3: Imagine Gensler making a price prediction like this. I think everyone's <laughs> minds would be blown. He said in the article, you know, growth might occur if we had a well-regulated space. I don't think anyone is arguing that. But I thought that the the funding piece was really interesting. So he mentioned that they've had relatively flat funding over at the CFTC over the past five or six years. And if they were in fact to oversee the crypto industry, that they would need more budget to do that. And so I wonder if there's maybe a little bit of an opportunistic take here on the CFTC's part. You know, if we oversee crypto, we can get more money, the money we've been fighting for for the last five or six years, and then, you know, have this new jurisdiction. I know there's a lot more that goes into this, but I thought it was interesting how that came up in the story as well. Pass it back to you, Will.
2: Yeah, the quote I want to pull from the story is really interesting. He said, quote, non-bank crypto institutions thrive on regulation. They thrive on regulation clarity. They thrive on level playing field. And they may otherwise say they don't want that, but they may bicker about the type of regulation. But What they love most is regulation because they are the smartest, the fastest, and the most well-resourced. With those attributes, they can beat everyone else in the market. So obviously, crypto bull, right? Obviously, pretty bullish on the entire space if he's going to give it those accolades. But uh, he's saying, like, you need some regulation, which I think in the crypto space, you've bounced back into that corner, not necessarily fans of regulation. And to date, that's been for some good reasons and for some bad reasons. There's definitely been some bad actors who have been slapped down. But there's also been some cases where there's been misaligned incentives, there's been oversights, there has been bad rulings on things. And I can see how entrepreneurs in the crypto space are not very interested in regulation. At the end of the day, though, it is coming, right? There's already being processed within these Senate committees, within these hearings. So it's going to happen. You just hope that's going to end up on the right side of the table. Zach, over to you.
1: Yeah, I think to me, the thing that stands out also was, you know, the, the prospect of institutional inflows should a more clearly regulated marketplace emerge. And I think that is, I mean, that generally holds, you know, to Jen's point. I think that, yeah, that is sort of the, the view from Wall Street is that if there are more clear rules of the road, those people who may still be on the sidelines would be more interested in in aping into crypto here. So I think uh, that stood out to me as well. But we do risk sort of lionizing one regulator over the other. We've seen that, I think, in the crypto markets in the last year or so, where the SEC has sort of become the big bad villain. And the CFTC is sort of like, yes, commodity. It's like a gold, you know, Bitcoin is so decentralized. It just is. It's like this raw thing. It's like corn or or gold or oil. And it should surely be within (laughs) the the, the CFTC's remit meanwhile i think it was just last week the CFTC made this took this action against ukidao which is the thing that followed bzx and that enforcement action had potential ramifications among those who looked into this thing that suggested that getting daos off the ground would be extremely difficult right so there is still some things within the CFTC that may not be what crypto true believers are hoping the CFTC is right if you look at the ukidao thing basically like everyone in the DAO got served. And that's potentially really chilling for innovation in new organizational forms. Again, whether this organizational form was set up to escape regulation and enforcement, that's an open question. But for other people experimenting in the space, the CFTC did something last week that was potentially really scary for these future Web3 organizations. So before we lionize the CFTC as sort of the, the GigaChad champion of the crypto space, it's worth remembering that sometimes when you build up these these idols, they ultimately end up biting you. Jen, I want to give it to you for your last thoughts on this one.
3: I just want to add to the Uki Dao piece. Everyone in that Dao got served, even if you were anonymous, have no personal information out there, you were served with a lawsuit from the CFTC via it being posted on a public message board. Just let that sink in for a little bit. It is crazy and going to be an interesting one to watch. But Will, I think you got our next story.
2: Yeah, last thought really quick is keep your Discord private. Don't want to get served by the FCC.
4: Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap and wealth through Web3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-to's from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host Cams and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseuse, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
0: Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code hash20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coindesk.com forward slash ideas.
2: Let's turn over to Circle and TBD, which this is a really interesting headline. I'm excited for Zach's take on this. Who would have thought that Block, the company run by Jack Dorsey, a prominent Bitcoin maximalist in the space, is going to work with Circle, the issuer of the USDC stablecoin, also known as the stablecoin underlying all of decentralized finance, which mostly lives on Ethereum, according to a conference this week in San Francisco run by Circle. Uh, Jack Dorsey's Block subdivision, TBD, is going to be working with Circle on implementing some new plans for USDC reach and growth. They noted that USDC and the dollar mostly is the largest way to get people into Bitcoin and into the crypto world and then out of the crypto world. It remains to be a pain point. Zach, I want to throw this one up to you. This sort of caught me off guard because I did not think that Block would go along this path. But naturally, for anyone who's been in the crypto space, everything comes back to the dollar. Everything comes back to stable coins. And so there had to be some sort of pairing
1: at some point with a company like USDC or like Circle in order to get more adoption. Circle's having its big event this week, and they saved all the announcements. I think yesterday they announced you know, that they were expanding to a bunch of new chains, right? We saw this from, from Block being announced as well. I think for me, the question is whether or not this work with TBD ultimately gets extended to blocks more consumer facing applications right so we got cash app we got all sorts of stuff right so whether or not you know the stablecoin usdc gets integrated into those services that's the big question for me but i think it presents a really interesting picture about where these new financial rails are headed right i think these firms who have been dabbling in crypto they understand that uh, some of these chains are a much more efficient way to move money across borders around the world digitally native than existing on-ramps, than existing financial rails that rely on the incumbent banking system. So if this becomes something that becomes a bedrock of how uh block approaches its digital asset strategy, that to me is super duper fascinating. Just the horse race of, oh, can USDC outstrip USDT in circulating supply? I think what we're seeing here is companies being like, okay, how do we use public blockchain networks and make them work for us as a company, if there are operational advantages to working in USD stablecoins, as opposed to dollars in, I don't know, correspondent banks the world over. And that's something that I think we're going to see more companies entertain. And this one is a really interesting one because, you know, Will, as you alluded to, dollar-backed stablecoins are certainly not exactly sort of the censorship-resistant paragon of some Bitcoin maximalist fantasy environment, right? But here we have this company, helmed by Jack Dorsey saying, okay, there's something useful here. We should start experimenting with it. And it's going to be really fascinating to see how that gets rolled out to its consumer base in mind. Jen, tossing it to you.
3: I think Jack Dorsey is just doing so much to make crypto more accessible. And so the remittance industry has been ripe for disruption for a really long time. We've spoken about Bitcoin, especially when it comes to El Salvador. And I think the last time we spoke about El Salvador, we spoke about those on and off ramps. We spoke about the extreme volatility of Bitcoin. And here we have Jack Dorsey, who's kind of solving those issues as a stepping stone towards this future that we always talk about, right? And so there's a quote in the story by Emily Chu. She's TBD's chief operating officer. She said, the US dollar is the reserve currency today, and we think Bitcoin might be the reserve currency of tomorrow. Stable coins are the bridge in between. And so it's just so nice to see that these problems that have existed in this industry for so long are being solved with the technology that already exists. And those people on the other end who can benefit the most from crypto can maybe finally start to have some of these barriers taken away. Well,
2: Yeah, I love this headline in terms of like a building approach, right? Like if you think of Block and you think it's place within the NeoBank world, right? They really took off, have done well. They have a lot of assets under management. They have Cash App, which is like basically a pretty big competitive Venmo at this point. And, you know, it was a startup project. At one point, it had no chance against Venmo. It was able to get off the ground. A lot of people use it now. They have Bitcoin built into that natively. You have your bank built into it. You can have a credit card application with it. You can buy stocks with it. Now imagine putting a stable coin into that picture in that scenario. And you can really see how some of these DeFi applications, some of these more bleeding edge finance apps out there that people are building right now, can come into the mainstream, right? Like imagine if I had USDC right on my cash app and I was able to use that for whatever purchase I wanna make, for whatever yield I wanna make, whatever NFT I wanna buy or whatever it may be, that's pretty bullish for the space. It's gonna be a while before we get there and we like, like you said, Zach, that might not ever happen, right? That might not be the ambition of this project, but the fact that they're working together means that maybe they've tossed that idea around and there could be other potential applications Or pairing between some of Square's products or Block's products, rather, and what USDC or Circle has been working on for quite a while. Zach, over to
1: you. I think, you know, USDC yields in DeFi, like, could maybe one day be like the Web3 killer app, right? It's like, oh, wow, I'm in my Cash App and I'm getting like more attractive yields than I would in my savings account. That's cool. And you don't even need to really know about like what's happening. But when you have those USDC stablecoins or whichever other stablecoins that can be integrated in these decentralized lending markets, that's pretty cool. That merging of Web 2 with Web 3, Web 2.5, Mulletfi, Mulletfi. I'm still, I'm still hype on Mulletfi. Business in the, front, in the back. FinTech, DeFi. That's where USDC <laughs> comes in. Could get interesting. Anyway, Jen, let's Austin it to you for the last story of the day. What do you got?
3: All right. We got Doquan Watch. So Terraform Labs says the arrest warrant issued by South Korean authorities for Doquan is an overreach, according to the Wall Street Journal. So a spokesperson for the company said Luna wasn't a security, meaning it doesn't fall under South Korea's capital markets law. They added that the case has been highly politicized and demonstrates unfairness and a failure to uphold basic rights under Korean law. Zach, I'm going to pass this one off to you. To begin with, I think we've come full circle, right? I think clear regulation might have prevented a statement like this from being said in the media while someone like Doquan is on the run. But
1: yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it goes back to what we're talking about with like the CFTC and commodities versus securities, right? So, like, you know, commodities are like gold, they just exist in the world and they can be traded as such. Securities are basically like, you know, a, a small slice of a, of a company, right? Or a project. And I think there's a lot of tokens in the space that are similar to that. They're sort of proxy securities. And that's the thing that the big fight has been about that, you know, Gary Gensler is asserting that many of these things seem security like people in the space are saying, no, 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 they just exist. They're adequately decentralized enough where they just sort of exist in the world and should be treated as such. So I think that's sort of like the big picture thing, whether or not regulation solves the Doquan drama mystery tour. uh, Yeah, I don't think it does. Uh, I think at this point, we're just sort of, we're seeing uh, all parties sort of, well, sp- specifically Do Kwan, lean into maximum entertainment value here. Where in the world is Do Kwan? What are we doing? Is this overreach? Should we comply? What's happening? Are we helping out this investigation? It's just kind of getting crazy at this point. So this to me adds to the entertainment value, this little update. Is it a material update on what this story will ultimately become? I don't know. I really don't know, but we'll toss it to you. No, Zach,
2: I like what you said. This doesn't really seem like a material
1: update, right? To me, this may be the the most
2: material part about it is like Terraform Labs is staying behind Doquan. Like they're not necessarily like turning around and attacking him, though I'm sure a lot of people have left the organization have been leaking information. But the fact that the organization still is around, they say they're defending Terraform Labs in a lot of different jurisdictions, that is notable. Uh, The one thing that I'll add here is it is interesting to read their report or their, uh, their answer back. And they're saying, like, we didn't break any securities laws in South Korea. And to some degree, like, there's a little credence to that, right? Because the Terra ecosystem had been operating in South Korea for quite a while before any of this pump and dump, right? So you can imagine a world where this hadn't happened, where Terra didn't explode upward and where the Luna stablecoin had exploded. And it's just business as usual, right? The South Korean government didn't seem to care too much beforehand But once the whole thing went belly up and a lot of people lost money, that's the only point they started to care. And that mirrors a lot of enforcement action we see over here in the United States, where they don't really go after anybody until everyone's harmed, right? They they wait around, they're okay watching. We've even seen this with Bitcoin and Ethereum, where they've sort of just kind of watched it from sidelines and it never went south. So they just stuck with it. In this case, other way around, right? So I I don't know there's a little bit to their claim there. Of course, I don't think it's enough to keep Doquan or anyone from Terraform Labs out of going to a court hearing, but we'll see about that.
1: Zach, to you. Yeah, I guess it's kind of the way it works, right? Like until the building collapses, no one is necessarily knocking down the door of the owner to make sure that they've been up to code. And what we have here with Terra is arguably just a massive structural collapse. The building was made in such a way that there was this fatal flaw that could bring it all crumbling down. Now, was that by design? Was there something fraudulent there? Or was it simply a dynamic that had yet to be probed in the marketplace at scale? And that's what led to this collapse. And I think that you could argue that, hey, okay, that's what these authorities are looking to find out. They're looking to knock on the door of Doquan and say, okay, you know, did you check the foundation? Was the steel up to grade? And I think that. The fact that it happened after the collapse doesn't shock me. It doesn't shock me that the Korean authorities weren't looking into this while it was still riding high. So maybe that's just the way of the world, both in uh, you know building physical building regulation and in financial market structure. But this to me is kind of reaching a little bit of like sideshow proportions where we're sort of seeing these pronouncements and it's becoming much more public. Whereas previously, I think Terraform Labs and Doquan specifically were, were being very quiet. Now we're sort of seeing this A little bit of this braggadocio, this little bit of brashness that we recall from the run-up in Luna's, you know, striking growth. We're seeing a little bit more of that come back into the fold and certainly people are much more captivated now. So I think that's why we're going to see some headlines like this in the coming weeks. Those are my thoughts. Dig it. Dig it. All right. Well, that's great. Let's wrap this thing. We just got the wrap from Control. We're going to wrap it right there. We're going to shut it down. Yep. Control. Wrap it. Okay, cool. We're wrapping it thanks for watching us today i'm zach seward that's jensen Assey in the middle we got will foxley on the other side we're the hash we'll be back tomorrow check us out here wherever you watch us thank you for doing that we're also on the podcast network if you just want to give it a listen with the old ears all right that's it that's it for the show today we'll see you soon we hope you're having a good one be kind be nice to each other today have a good one all right that's see it yeah. bye, bye.